What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of High and Wide Radio. I'm your host, Angry Jim, here as always with my co-host, Jack Smith and Kyle Warner. Kyle and Jack, say hi to the people. Hi, people. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Yeah, we have a special Monday night edition, and that's because we have a very special, special guest. Tonight we have on the show uh, contributor to the uh, Flyers, Bill Meltzer. Bill, how you doing? Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, I'm doing great, guys. Hope you guys are doing well. We're awesome, man. I, mean, I think we're pretty stoked for the upcoming season. We got, what, an, about another month till uh, training camp opens up? Yeah, even even less than that, actually. At least rookie camp opens a little less than that. But, yeah, the, the main camp's about a month. Well, it's wild how, how fast the summer's gone. I mean, for the first time in years, I, I'm going to speak for myself here. I don't know about Jack and Kyle, but I'm excited. It looks like they put together a roster finally with actual NHL players um, I get where a lot of people are kind of tempering their excitement a little bit. They're still kind of, uh, what's the word? They're afraid to be excited, I think, Bill. Do you, do you get that? Oh, 100%. 100%. And, and you know, and you can understand that. You know, you, you can understand where, especially going into last season, I mean, the Flyers were coming off a 98-point year, and, you know, and the general manager you know, came out right out and said, well, this is, this is a playoff team where – you know they go after they go after James Van Riemsdyk, and you know our our goal is to take the next step this year. And obviously they took a big step backwards, and it's been, you know, the, the team's undergone a now it's about five years into a you know into a partial rebuild, and you know it's been since 2012 since they won a playoff series. So I understand, you know, I understand the frustration and the skepticism, and you know, and I think all that's fair. Um, you know, I think you can look at the uh, the raw traditions this summer, and I know we'll get into that shortly. But you know, I mean, on paper, I think it's a better roster. On paper, I think that they, uh, you know, addressed a lot of what the their needs were. Uh, but you know, the, you have to see it come together on the ice, not just on paper. And anytime there's a new coaching staff too, that's always an X factor. So, you know, I mean, the, to me, there's a lot of parity in the in the Metro Division, and there's a lot of teams that are kind of on the bubble. And I think the Flyers. You have to say they're still there until they prove otherwise. Now, I think the, the ability to prove otherwise is there. But, I mean, I, I, you know, I understand the skepticism. And, I, you know, I think that it's up to, uh, it's up to the team that could, absolutely could not afford another slow start, you know, to, to, get, to have a good, solid camp and, and get off on the right foot this season. I 100% agree with that. I mean, you know, it, the people want to be excited. I mean, guys, guys like me, I, I can tell you for sure, guys like Jack, and Kyle, we want to we want to get excited for this team, but we also we don't want to be, I guess, let down is the word uh, or the phrase. Um, now, before I get into the roster and, and stuff here, I, I know Jack has a couple questions for you. He wants to ask you about yourself, um, so go ahead, Jack, take it away. Well, Bill, I just want to say that it's a pleasure. Um, I actually found you a long time ago uh, on Hockey Buzz. Uh, I, I don't remember the year. I want to say around 09, 10, 11, around then. Um, as a blogger, I was looking for rumors, and you were the Flyers guy. And uh, I was out of work in like 2014 or 15, and I was in between jobs, and I was looking at writing. And I actually emailed you via Hockey Buzz, and you did respond to me. And I wanted to thank you for that. And uh, turns out I'm not a writer, more of a talker. Uh, <laughs> but all the same, I appreciate the advice. And uh, a lot of your prospect updates in the Meltzer's musings uh, made me the smartest man in the room when it came to talking flyers. So I've been following you for quite a while, and I just wanted to thank you for that, for responding to me. And uh, 
I did ask you this then, and um, I'll ask you again. Like, so how how did you get into the business of just covering the team that you loved? Because a lot of your blogs, you do talk about when you played street hockey out in front of your house and pretending to be Clark and what have you. So how how did you get this uh, into this business? Yeah, I mean, on the um, you know, as you said, I've been a Flyers fan all my life. Um, you know, some of my earliest memories are the the first two cup seasons, you know, and those, uh, you know, I, I've been a Flyers fan for life. So, you know, uh, my, my first, as you said, my first sports hero was, was Clarkie. Uh, my all-time favorite player, which is, which is a little different because as a kid, it's almost like hero worship. You know, you don't know the game as well, you know, as, as you learn it later on. And, you know, you, you learn to skate, you learn to play and whatever. And, and it's, uh, so Mark Howe is my all-time favorite player. Clarkie is my, my first hero. And, and it's just been, you know, it's just been going from there. You know, I've done a lot of other kinds of writing work over the years. Um, you know, it was always a dream to be able to write about hockey for a living. It took a long, long, long time to uh, see that come to reality. And so I started out, um, you know, I started out on, on hockeysfuture.com doing prospect-related writing. Um, and I, so I got credentialed to the American Hockey League at the time. The, the Phantoms had just come to Philadelphia. Um, you know, as an expansion franchise in the American Hockey League, and um, there was an old website called Pro Hockey Euro Report, which was an English language website, but it was geared towards fans in Europe who want to follow players from you know from their home countries. Back when you know back when games weren't televised back there and, and, and whatnot, so writing features for Pro Hockey Euro Report, you know, and it was always it was always the focus of European players who came over here, so. Uh, the Flyers had Andre Zell or, or uh, Valeri Zelipukin at the time, and that was actually the first feature I wrote. I wrote one on Yanni Ninema. I wrote one on uh, uh, Roman Chekmanic, some other guys. So that was the, my first getting credentials for NHL games, which was in the 1999-2000 uh, season. And all all the back then, you're just writing for credentials just to get into the building, and you build you build clipping files. But what you also build is you build, you know, you build contacts, you build networks of people. Um, you know, I have to thank, for example, uh, Bruce Scoop Cooper, who introduced me to a lot of scouts. And, uh, you know, you build a rapport with them and you get to know people. So, you know, uh, so by in 2004, uh, a guy, a veteran hockey writer by the name of John McGurdy said, well, why don't I send, you know, some queries to NHL.com? Uh, at the time, Phil Coffey was the editor at, at NHL.com. So I sent some stuff to Phil. And that grew from there. So I, I started started actually for the first time getting paid for my work. Um, so I freelanced for NHL.com. And, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a side living. It was a nice way to make a little bit of extra money. But I was you know, a writer and editor in a, in a different field. And um, just, uh, you know, just kind of grew from there. Um, the I, I, So I knew Kevin Kurtz, because uh, he'd been the uh, – Philadelphia Phantoms publicist, and by then he'd moved up to the Flyers. And he said, well, would you be interested in doing some freelance work for our game program? Um, and I said, of course, you know, where do I sign on? Um, so, I, you know, I did that for a while. And then, you know, I, I periodically, intermittently kind of worked with the Flyers. And then when they had the uh, anniversary season, uh, the 50th anniversary season, that's when I landed the, the gig that I have with the Flyers as a content contributor. And originally it was it was only 50th anniversary content, but it grew to what I do now, which is uh, right basically writing about everything: the current team, you know, uh, the reports from practices, analysis pieces, 
Um, we do Flyers Radio 24-7 and, uh, you know, all, all those kind of things. I, you know, so doing prospects, doing history features, doing the current team. So, I mean, it's, it's perfect. I, I love writing about any anything of that kind of nature. And I also got hooked up with the uh, with the Flyers Alumni Association, which was actually it actually started a year or two before that. Um, uh, Brad Marsh, um, you know, longtime Flyers and NHL defenseman. Um, I actually talked to him about writing for Hockey Buzz, and Brad was still living in Ottawa at the time. And so Brad came aboard, and his son Eric came aboard as actually as our Detroit Red Wings writer because that was one of the teams Brad played for. And um, Brad, you know, a year or two later, moved back to the Philadelphia area. His wife is from the area. Uh, he was ready to, you know, kind of come back here. And Brad became, well, he has a dual job as the Flyers Community Relations Development um, Director and also as the president of the Flyers Alumni Association. So I was doing a little bit of work for the alumni, but, but it really kind of picked up when, when Brad came back. And, you know, Brad is an unbelievable boss. So it kind of grew to where... You know, like I, I, I managed the alumni's Twitter page, their Facebook and their website. And, uh, you know, I mean, those guys treat me unbelievably. They actually treat me like part of the team, which is, you know, for someone who grew up idolizing a lot of these guys and, and watching the Flyers all my life. I mean, it's, it's a dream come true. But it was a, as you can see, it was a real, real, real long process to get there. Wow. Yeah, my God, that's in, that's impressive. But. Yeah, you got a lot of good stuff on your your Hockey Buzz uh, blog. You post everything that you do on there. I've seen it grown. I, I used to remember looking at uh, just uh, what the team was up to and a couple of prospects, and now you got all sorts of stuff on NHL.com, on the Flyers Network, um, on everything. There's a lot of good stuff to read now. And uh, I, I log on every day, and, and uh, reading your blog is a part of my daily routine. So it's, it's some good stuff. It's a real pleasure to have you on. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. I've been with Hockey Buzz since 2006. There you go. See, I think I, I popped around around 2008 or nine. So it's been quite a while. So <laughs> thanks again. Absolutely. All right, uh, Jim. Let's get into let's get into uh, Fletcher's off season here. This is when it's going to get fun. <laughs> Where do you want to start, Jack? Well, I guess we should start with the head coach. There you go. Uh, so, so Bill. I mean, Flyers definitely didn't hold back when they uh, hired three head coaches. Obviously, Elaine Vigneault is the top one. Um, how do you feel about that whole situation there with uh, Tarion and Yao and all that? Yeah, uh, you know, if you look at uh, you know, and obviously, obviously the big name in the in the coaching you know realm this this offseason, of course, was was Joe Quenville, whose name had been tied to the Flyers. If you can't get Quenville, who who from all indications had his heart set on uh, on getting back with Dale Talon, and, and you know, it was basically a one-team race. It was Florida. He was go. He wanted to go to Florida. So, you know, you can't twist the guy's arm if he has his mind made up. But the second, the second name on the market was Elaine Vigneault, and you know, you, you look at his track record, where you go all the way back to when he was with Montreal, and they had a first season under him. He goes to Vancouver, gets the key, gets the team to a Stanley Cup final. Um, wins a wins a President's Trophy, wins a Jack Adams Award, goes to the Rangers, and he gets the Rangers to a Stanley Cup final. So, you know, and and uh, won won some division titles. I mean, he's a very decorated head coach who's had success wherever he's gone. Every every coach everywhere has a shelf life, and you know, and and that's not going to be any different here or you know or whatever. But one of the things that Vigneault was done to get back to your question is every place that Vigneault was coached. He's liked to have experienced assistants with uh, with NHL head coaching experience, whether it's Dave King in Montreal or Rick Bonus in Vancouver, 
or uh, Scott Arneal and and uh, then Lindy Ruff and, and you know the New York Rangers, uh, he's always surrounded himself with guys who have experience. And Tarion, of course, was, was actually he's never really been an assistant. He's been a head coach most of his career. And um, Tarion actually was the one who uh, gave Mike Yo his first coaching opportunity because when Tarion was coaching the American Hockey League in Pittsburgh's organization and Yo had just finished playing, he was uh, Yo was uh, Tarion's assistant. And then when Tarion went up to the Pittsburgh Penguins, and incidentally, their assistant general manager at the time was none other than Chuck Fletcher. Uh, Yo came along to the Penguins, and even though even though Yo was a career forward, a checking forward, but a forward, um, he one of his responsibilities was coaching PK, and uh, you know he actually he actually and this was this was the year before the Penguins got good. The Penguins were still at the, in the NHL basement that year, but they had a big turnaround in their penalty kill. They they went from near the bottom of the league to the middle of the pack, and improved by about eight nine percent. So that's that's really where Yo started to build a reputation. He did both ends of special specialty teams, and you know, I mean, the Penguins very shortly after that had a ton of talent, and you know, I mean, you you still need coaching, you still need things to come together, you know. But they uh, that that's what Yo parlayed into his first head coaching job with Minnesota Wild, and by the way, the, their general manager was of course Chuck Fletcher. So, you know, he brought he brought him to Minnesota. So so you have a group of guys who know each other very well, uh, Terry and. Terry and Vigneau are long, long time friends. Actually, uh, actually, it was Terry who replaced Vigneau as head coach in Montreal, and they've been they've been friends for a number of years. So, you know, they they, they are a group that knows each other pretty well, and and Chuck certainly knows Joe uh, very well. So, you know, you have to see how it's all going to come together. Um, you know, there, there are strong ideas involved, there are egos involved in, in any kind of coaching staff situation. But at the level, and, and, you know, I mean, there are, I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of funny how the pendulum swings sometimes. When, when had ever been a head coach. So, you know, the very, like, at least in terms of NHL head coaching or even minor league head coaching experience, nobody had it. And now you have a, you know, you have an ultra experienced head coaching staff. And there's not one right way and one wrong way, but the pendulum has swung. And certainly if, uh, you know, certainly if things don't come together, it won't be for lack of experience in the league. If I could ask you a quick question here, and, and I don't want to delve too much into this, <clears throat> but <clears throat> is, it, is there any um, coincidence that, uh, that the Flyers went out and got three head coaches, three experienced head coaches uh, to put behind the bench. And, and this team's maybe, uh, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but maybe lack of maturity in some ways, lack of discipline. Is, is that a coincidence, do you think? Yeah. You know, that Chuck has looked at, not just during, not just during his, I guess uh, three quarters of a season, just about here. You know, Hexy was let go. You know, right after, right after uh, around Thanksgiving, and then Haxo was let go uh, in December. But uh, you know, in, in his more than half a season, but not a full season, you know, he, he saw some of the streakiness that the team had. He saw their tendency to fall behind early in games. All all these kind of things that speak to, you know, that speak to preparation, that speak to accountability. You know, and and not that there weren't attempts to enforce accountability, but I do I do think that that kind of ties into that. 
mm-hmm. that you want to have, you know, you want to have a lot of structure. There's, you know, there's going to be a demand that players play uh, according to that structure and that system. And, uh, you know, I mean, Terry in particular is a guy who, uh, you know, he's kind of an in-your-face kind of coach. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that that's all kind of a reflection of that. I don't know if maturity is the right word, but I do think I think accountability is a good word. Okay. Um, and here's my next question. I'm, I'm going to kind of ask you to look into your crystal ball over there. Do you think players in, in this day and age uh, will respond to uh, the kind of coaching that we've, we've come accustomed to seeing from uh, Michelle Therrien or, or – um, and let's just say this Flyers team in particular. Do you think they'll respond to this, or do you think that some of these guys um, are maybe too far out of touch or, or too too late to change? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that. Uh, I mean, every player every player wants to win, right? You know, and and I mean, you know, they've they've done it a certain way. I mean, I think that you know, from everything I know about Vino, and he, he told me this a little bit himself when, you know, when I talked to him last month for a, we did a, we did a series on the, the flyer systems for the flyers website. And, uh, I talked to Elaine, I talked to, to Mike and I talked to uh, Michelle all separately to kind of get their philosophies on the, you know, on systems and, and player motivation, and all the rest of that. Vino's style is kind of, he lets the room police itself a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas Terry and his more, an in-your-face kind of coach, and you know, Yo can get tough when he has to, but Yo is generally not, you know, generally not a yeller, but he, you know, he can when he has to. So, you know, I think part of the reason why they brought in, particularly in the, particularly in the the blue line, I think part of the reason why they brought in a Niskanen and, and a Justin Braun is they wanted a couple of veterans who uh, have been on winning teams recently, and in, in Niskanen's case, a cup winner. And in Braun's case, he's been to a, he's been to a Stanley Cup final, and he's been a you know he's been a twenty minute defenseman on contending teams. You know they they've lacked that they've lacked that uh, that calming element ever really kind of ever since Kibo Timonen retired. You know since since they haven't had Danny Briere anymore, which is going back a number of years at this point. But sometimes sometimes when you have that adversity that kicks in, you know, and Yo said, and I agree with it. Sometimes you can see panic on the bench. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think that they brought in some players that will kind of steady things, but also, you know, but also there has to be demands that, you know, they, I mean, there were just there were just way too many slow starts in games. The Flyers played from behind entirely too often last it year. It seemed like all season long, it felt like. And some of it was goaltending, a lot of it was Team D. You know, I mean, you could you could point to a lot of different things, but the, the bottom line is it was happening way too often, and they, they need they need to address that right off the bat. Oh uh, yeah, if, if they start slow this year, uh, it's it's going to be rough. I don't want to be on Twitter if the Flyers start slow. I will tell you that much. There's going to be some crazy yeah. stuff flying around on there. Yeah, so, you know, and the thing is too is that you know, I I mean, it, with with all the changes that have taken place, it might take a a little while. Right. You know, it might take uh, you know, it might take four or six weeks, whatever, to kind of get rolling. You just can't bury yourself too soon. I mean, what the uh, you know, what the Blues did last year was unprecedented. Oh I mean, God. I guess I guess they showed it can be done, but you certainly don't want to be in, in last in the league in early January and have to pull yourself up from there. I mean, you make your life a lot. You know, the <laughs> points only get harder and harder and harder to get, even though even though points in October count the same as points in April. Oh, so, yeah. so you you make life eminently easier on yourself when you you know when you're not playing catch up all the time. For sure, hundred percent. I mean, what the Blues did last year was incredible. Are you kidding me? They were in last place in January, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were. They were dead last in the league. Um, 
It was a game. Actually, the start of the turnaround was in Philly. It was Bennington's uh, first <laughs> NHL game. He shuts out the Flyers, and that kind of started their, you know, started their turnaround. Sounds about right. Um, Bill, I, I did want to ask you about the Tarian and uh, Yao. It just it seems like Tarian's had a little more success as a head coach. Uh, I don't know how I feel about these guys as assistants. Uh, Yao didn't do too much in Minnesota, and it was like the second. It was more Biddington than it was him in St. Louis, but this, it's like the second he was let go, the team really took off. Uh, the thing about Tarian, it seems like, and I've heard. Eklund say this, to be honest, uh, his strategy is almost like he makes the entire team hate him and they rally against him. I mean, I don't, how does that, can you see that working? Especially when you have three hard nosed coaches, I usually the assistants are supposed to be like you're the guy you can talk to. At least that's the way I understood it. But so, I mean, what's your take on all of that? Sure. Well, I mean, yo, you know, and, uh, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure Mike's ambition is to eventually get another head coaching opportunity. But I mean, you had a lot of success as a as an, an assistant coach in Pittsburgh. And again, you know, part of that was PK. And, you know, he helped turn that around there. Um, and then some guys are just better assistants than head coaches. Um, you know, I, I think Yo was a well prepared guy in Minnesota. I mean, he's actually an impressive guy to to talk to. You know, he thinks the game, you know, he thinks the game at a pretty high level. Um, you know, no, we didn't have, you know, we had some success in Minnesota. I mean, they had, you know, they had, they had one year, they were pretty successful and they, they got to the second round of the playoffs so whenever overall, but I mean, but overall he, you know, they would tend to go out in the first round. They would kind of just not be at that next level of contention, you know, and then, and then things just didn't go very well in St. Louis when he took over Ken Hitchcock. But, you know, but I, I think, I think he's a good assistant coach. I don't really have too much worry, uh, about, you uh, Tarion, he's, they said he's never really been an assistant. Um, he is uh, an aggressive, they said, kind of an in-your-face coach, a little bit, you know, a little bit like the old Mike Keenan school, where yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, and I think Eck described it right, where he makes himself the common enemy, you know, and he he will tell players things that, uh, you know, sometimes just to challenge them, and not, you know, sometimes sometimes it's, uh, you know, like he'll tell a guy who, uh, who who was just acquired to the team, well, I didn't want you. Right, the GM, the GM fired you. I, I mean, that I, you know, I know the player that's involved in that, and you know, and it, it's to, you know, to kind of piss the guy off and and to motivate. Well, I'll show you. I mean, that's you know, that's 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 a particular school of motivation. Right? Yeah, and it's it's very old school and it's very hard nosed. Now, you know, now Michelle away from the rink is actually you know pretty laid back. He's you know he's a nice guy, you know, but but that that's his method of coaching and. You know, I mean, he's, yeah, I mean, he, he's going to kind of be the bad cop. You know, Vino as the head coach, again, you know, not that he uh, doesn't communicate expectations and this is, you know, and if you don't do it, you're not going to play. But he's generally, he's generally speaking, not a yeller in your face kind of guy. That's going to be Michel Terry. And don't forget, though, that Ian LaPerriere is still in the staff and Lappy's the guy everybody likes and, you know, kind of keep people loose and, you know, and actually, we actually I just got back from the Flyers alumni fantasy camp, and Lappy had everybody laughing all weekend. You know, Lappy's just Lappy's just that guy who you know players can talk to and they can trust. So, you know, that that'll be part of his role with the team there. But as you said, I mean, we're gonna have to see how that dynamic comes together. And you know, does does that method of motivating work? I mean, every again, everything has a shelf life. But I but I think that um, you know, if the team leadership doesn't come in saying. You know, hey, let's uh, let's try a different way here because because uh, we're we're tired of going home early in April. 
you know, then then something else is wrong. But I, you know, I, I think that you do have to get buy-in, and it has to start with your team leaders, and then and then spread through the team. So, you know, that that's one of those open questions where I think they are better on paper. Um, I, I think that they'll have good systems on paper, but how will it actually translate? You know, that's really hard to say until we actually see it on the ice. Okay, yeah, it should definitely be interesting. Um, I, I was not crazy. I mean, I liked. Vigneault, for sure. But the assistant coaches, everybody saw uh, Yao come, at least we thought we did. We thought it was a power move to, you know, you've had these pushover coaches, and now we're coming in with three hard noses. But it seems like they, you describe that they know each other. It's not as uh, outlandish as we thought it was. So I guess that's good. I, I know there's going to be an emphasis on defense, and even with the forwards, from what I heard. Um, but I, I do want to get into uh, Chuck Fletcher here, because... Um, can't speak for the other two counterparts on the show, but I'm a little skeptical of some of the moves. And I wanted to see how you felt about uh, what Fletcher's done so far. So with without me saying anything, from when he pretty much got the job until now, how would you grade what Fletcher has done? Well, uh, you know, I, I think it's incomplete because there was an evaluation period the rest of that season. And, uh, you know, we have to see what he did. Now, you know, where I disagreed with people was people saying that there was no coherent plan. To me, there was actually a, a very coherent plan where, you know, I, I can see the line of logic that runs through all of it. Let, let's start with this. Last year, uh, if you look at team goals against average, and Chuck said as way back as in January, priority number one is we have to cut our goals against average. We give up way too many goals to compete. And I absolutely agree with him. If you look league-wide, it goes against average, you know, 31 teams, right? Teams 21 through 31, all 10 of those teams missed the playoffs. The Flyers were 29th last year. And there's a lot of reasons for that. That was the, you know, have, going through eight goaltenders. And Team D was, team, team D, not just the blue line, but Team D didn't have, a, you know, enough commitment to playing the right way in front of their goalie. Uh, penalty killing mostly in the first quarter of the season, but really in the first half. Was atrocious. They were they were under seventy percent on on the uh, PK at the quarter pole of the season, and they spent the rest of the year pulling it up. You know they got up to you know uh, still still in the lower half of the league, but uh, in the second half of the season they were over eighty percent. Um, so you know the, so you combine all those things, and uh, you know, you have a mess. And so okay, so how do you bring down the goals against average? Well, obviously, Carter Hart is a big piece of that, right? He has to continue to mature. He has to show himself to be a number one goalie. Uh, and we can talk about the goaltending piece of, of re-signing Brian Elliott because there is some risk to that. But, uh, you know, I, I think that the biggest thing they're counting on is Carter continuing to mature, continuing to become, you know, the kind of number one goalie I think we all think he can and, and will become. You know, it's a lot of pressure on a 21-year-old to say, go out and play 60 games and you know, backstop the team, so they they wanted a veteran to pair with them. But I mean, that that's obviously a huge part of all this. That that's something that has to be in place. Um, the you look at the blue line next. Well, you know the the blue line was you know was was kind of a mess last year because Provorov took a step back, Ghost took a big step back. Now Sanheim improved, um, but there's there's still room for him to get better. You know. Part of the thing they're counting on this year is Provorov bouncing back, and of course you got to sign him first. 
But, uh, you know, Provorov needs to bounce back this year. Uh, Ghost needs to bounce back this year. Sandheim needs to continue developing. And hopefully Phil Myers, uh, you know, claims a spot and becomes a regular. But they wanted, they wanted to add some experienced guys on the blue line. And even better, they wanted to be able to go left-right on three different pairs. Now they can do that. So they add Niskanen. They add Matt Niskanen, who, uh, you know, last year, I, I'm willing to write off last year for Matt Niskanen because right before Christmas, he suffered what had to have been a concussion. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the YouTube clip uh, of, uh, of Niskanen's head hitting the boards. Well, for the next six weeks after that, even though he, even though he tested, you know, even though he tested okay on the concussion protocol, he was awful, awful for the next six to eight weeks. And then later in the season, he looked a little bit more like himself. But that pulled down his whole season totals. Wow. You go back one calendar year, and that's all you got to go back one calendar year. When the Capitals won the Stanley Cup, Matt Niskanen pulled down 25-23 of ice time. That's monster ice time. That was his. That was the best hockey he played that season. That was some of the best hockey of his career. And if you get in the playoffs, I think that's the Batniskin you'll see. I think you might actually see more value from him if the Flyers are in the playoffs than you might see, you know, during the regular season. Brings a lot of stability. Still is a really good breakout passer. He's solid in his own end of the ice. You know, he can still give you a lot of minutes. He does, again, he does need to bounce back from a little bit of a down year. Um, Justin Braun, you know, and, and I know people that are – very into analytics who really dislike the Braun acquisition. But I think I think when you look at the analytics side of it, there's always context there. And in Braun's case, right shot defenseman, well, well, who was he playing with in San Jose that are also right shot defensemen? Playing with Eric Carlson, right? And playing with Brent Burns. Both of them phenomenal offensive defensemen, right? I mean, just elite offensive defensemen. But neither's really a guy you want starting a lot of shifts in the defensive zone. Neither's necessarily the guy you want if you're, you know, protecting a lead late in the game. So a lot of those defensive zone starts and all that, and, and they've done for much of his career, have fallen on Braun. So, you know, he's he's an okay puck mover, but it, really his main thing is just being poised and solid on his own end of the ice. You know, I mean, the acquisition cost was fairly high, but from what I understand, there were, there were other teams – including one in the Flyers' division they were interested in trading for. So it enabled San Jose to kind of get their price met, you know, and and, uh, and we could touch on this if you want to, but, I mean, I think what the Flyers did over the draft kind of mitigated some of what they gave up in, in that particular trade. So, you know, I, I like what they did with the blue line just in terms of adding experience, some stability. You do need bounce backs from two guys in their 30s, but I do think that, uh, you know, to have a guy again, to have a guy who played 25 plus minutes of, of ice time in Stanley Cup playoffs on a Cup winner a year ago, just one year ago, you know, and uh, he, I think that they, that potential is there to, to be a solidifying force. And and Braun was a 20 minute a guy, 20 minute a night guy, even this past season. So, you know, is there reason to be skeptical when a guy in his 30s is coming off of a down year? Yeah, there is. But again, on paper, to me, to me, it's an upgrade. And this is this is no disrespect to Radko Gudis. Two years ago, I don't think you could get Matt Niskin and Farad Kogutis. Oh, you know? no, absolutely not. I was calling for his head. So, yeah, and, and, and you know, going through the game suspension, all that, too. So, you know, with all due respect to Gutis, I think that, that I think Matt Niskin is in the trade. And, I mean, basically, uh, you know, basically Justin Braun is, uh, you know, they bought, out, uh, they bought out Andy McDonald. 
And so he's, you know, he's kind of Max replacement if, if considered Mac a top six guy in the lineup. So, you know, I think, you know, again, it's on paper. You have to see how it comes together. But I like what they did with that. That was another step for cutting goals against. Okay, here's the third piece of it. Uh, Kevin Hayes, who's, of course, played with Vino, played under Vino with the Rangers. Um, you know, everybody looks at the offensive side of it, that he's kind of a middling offensive guy, you know, maybe a 50-point guy, more playmaker than goal scorer. And all that's, all that's fair and accurate. You know, nothing wrong with being a good playmaker. He's a good passer. He's another two-way. He's another two-way forward. So now, you know, now you've gotten deeper down the middle. Now you get Nolan Patrick potentially into more favorable matchups in a, a third-line situation. And if you guys remember this past year, in the second half of the season, for a while, they moved Claude Giroux back to center again. Um, and Couturier was centering Lindblom and Voracek. Well, during that stretch of time, you know, uh, Giroux's game suffered a little bit. But the move was necessarily made for him. It was made kind of for Nolan Patrick. And during that, you know, during a lot of that stretch, he had, he had a period of 14 games where he had 13 points and five of his goals came during that stretch. Now, was that because of the changes? Hard to say, but I do think, I do think that getting him into some matchups where, you know, where he's against other teams, lower lines certainly helped him. And, you know, the, the thing with, the thing with Nolan is, you know, he can't have that stretch of 13 points in 14 games and then go the next 30 games with, you know, eight points. I mean, he's got, you need more consistency out of him. He has to elevate his game. Well, that challenges the gauntlet's down there for him because, you know, if if he wants to be more of a, and Vino has said this, he does, you know, ultimately, you know, going into this year, you have a first line, second line, third line, fourth line, uh, which which pretty defined. But ultimately, you know, what you have on the best teams is you have kind of a, you know, a, a two A and two B in your middle six, and that's what he would like to see emerge over over the course of the season. I mean, if that happens. Then you're looking at a very deep lineup. It involves guys like Patrick and Lindblom getting better. But I do one piece that I do think you can kind of bank on is that Couturier being, of course, an outstanding two-way center, and and Patrick being an emerging, uh, emerging two-way center, and Hayes being a good two-way center, and you know, and Scott Lawton being a guy who kills penalties and gives you something there too. So now all of a sudden you're a lot deeper down the middle, and finally, you know, they add they add Tyler Pitlick, who's a relentless checker. Uh, not you know not the most skilled goal scorer by any means. Not a guy you want lugging the puck up the ice, but a but a good checker, a guy who brings speed to the lineup, and a guy who's also killed some penalties as well. You know whether he plays third or fourth line, we've gone back and forth and a, a little bit on that in social media the last few days. I don't know where he's going to end up slotting. Some of it's going to depend on what the kids do, but uh, you know, but he's another good two way forward because one thing that I thought last year that actually it drove me nuts at times. Was I thought the I thought the weak side winger coverage last year was atrocious, atrocious, and, and they, the Flyers gave up so many goals because the weak side winger lost his man who sneaks right in from the point, um, stuttering pass comes out and the guy's got a point blank shot, and a rebound you know rebound sometimes sometimes it goes cleanly in the net, so you know, getting getting some wingers that are committed to two way play too was important. So any one of these individual pieces are just a piece of it. And, you know, get all the coming together with, with the coaching side of it, then I do think the potential is there to significantly lower the goals against average. And hopefully, hopefully, if you, you know, when you have the puck more often, you, you know, your own offense goes up a little bit too. So they didn't make the big sexy move to get a goal scorer. But I think the number one thing that Fletcher wanted to do was, again, to cut goals against average. And I do think there was pretty high potential to be able to do that. 
And if you do that, then I think you know, then I think you're looking at the playoffs. Okay. Um, I think. I mean, yeah, I, I never knew if he had a plan or questioned if he had a plan. I guess I just looked at it as a whole and took it piece by piece as it came in. And I, and a lot of this is because I've liked the prospects that were brought in, and I've I've learned to really like the draft. So that like I, I like Braun as a, as a player as a piece. I definitely didn't like the trade a second and a third for, for that player when you consider what the Devils got for PK Subban and even the uh, KHL guy they just got. It just seemed like the value was off. And you and you go back to trading Stolars for Talbot. He plays what two and a half games and you just he just walks. Uh, a little bit of his trading and his value. That's what uh, makes me a little nervous. Uh, and you are right. He did. He did move back in the draft and recoup that second. Uh, I, I guess the only thing that makes me nervous there is I don't think he. I mean, I like Cam York. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he took the best player available, which is something I think you should always do. And a lot of people have said they need to recoup their defensive prospects. But when half your defensive prospects are, or even on your current team, are under the age of twenty-five, was it really that necessary? And does, so I would say, what did you think of his first-round draft and not taking Cole Caulfield and going for York? I'll, I will agree, trading back was great, uh, and some of his trade moves, um, just paying too much and seeing how other teams do. You think that could be an issue in the future, or do you think he's just going for it and getting what he wants, and the price is no consequence? Well, you know, I, I, and I mentioned uh, surely before with Braun that Flyers had some competition for him. Um, you know, now now maybe the Flyers were the first team that met the ask. Certainly, they were because they, he was traded to Philly. But uh, you know, there were there were other teams with inquiries in on him. So San Jose set their price, and you know, and, and the Flyers were the first one that met that price. Um, and then you also have to look at, okay, what kind of defenseman are you looking to add? Um, is Subban the player he was a couple of years ago? How, how does he fit in your locker room, right? Um, are, you, are you looking to add another guy who's, uh, you know, a, a power play kind of guy? Uh, and, and Subban, you know, Subban at his best can be an outstanding player. And may, maybe he'll be a phenomenal shot in the arm for the Devils. Was he the right guy for the Flyers, Dad? That's hard to say. Um, you know, and in terms of the, you mentioned the Russian kid. Well, not even a kid. He's a guy in his mid-20s. I'm always a little leery of older European players, older players in general, but older players coming over from European. No, everyone's in a room. Temi Panarin, who comes in the league and he makes a big impact. There, there, are, there are more guys, more guys than not from Europe a little later who struggle. You know, they, they kind of don't do, they don't kind of hit their full potential. And the KHL is a funny league because some guys come over from there and they do great. Um, it's, it's a little hard to translate KHL numbers to the NHL. And, you know, if you look at the caliber of competition, I mean, there are some world-class players over there. On the flip side, I, I, I think we all remember Matt Ellison, right? The guy the Flyers traded for Patrick Sharp. Yeah. And Matt Ellison flamed out in the NHL, just could not play in the NHL. Pretty good American League guy. Well, guess what? He's the KHL, and he's been a multi-time All-Star over there. So, you know, it, it says, you know, it, it wasn't like he suddenly matured as a player. He was playing basically an AHL caliber league, and he, you know, he dominated. It's a different style of thing. What I'm just saying is you have to take KHL numbers and salt. And you know, maybe Goose will work out great for them. Maybe it'll be a you know 
solid year in, year out, 25 goal guy. And, you know, you got, you got him with a big, about $4 million price tag. But there's no guarantees on that. There's, there's always risk in that. So, you know, I, I think you could look at any team critically and, and look at, uh, you know, look at what they've added and say, okay, if it works out, this is what you have. And if it doesn't work out so great, okay, well, you know, what's, what's plan B? Um, you know, and, and I think the Devils are kind of in that. But I, they, I certainly think they got better. I think the Rangers got better too. All right, going into the draft. Um, you know, going – the Flyers had me do a, uh, a mock draft right before, you know, right before it started. And I love Cole Caulfield as much as anybody. I think Cole Caulfield is going to score goals in the NHL, right? And I think that you know he'll be a Goudreau kind of a player, and you know I think he'll be I think he'll be just fine. I think you know I think he's going to score. Now a lot of organizations have a philosophy, you know, best available player is usually a center. Or a defenseman, I mean, yeah, unless you, you know, unless you were super high on a particular goalie in a year. This year, this year there was one in Spencer Knight. Um, you know, I would have been thrilled to see the Flyers draft Caulfield. But anyway, in this mock draft that I did, well, I actually had Cam York as the second defenseman off the board, and that came from talking to various scouts and just looking, you know, just looking at, uh, you know, ha- having seen the world under 18s. If you look at that, that USA you know, under 18 national team. Um, well, first of all, they had 17 players off that one team drafted this year, which is insane. Six, all, all six of their top defensemen were drafted this year. Who was the number one defenseman on the team? It was called Caulfield. And he was, and he was consistent all year and fantastic. And if you, if you saw him play in the uh, world junior summer showcase, this, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, he was outstanding and not just outstanding in terms of being, because most people think he's going to be a, a power play quarterback, a, a PP one kind of guy. And, and he certainly showed, you know, some, some hints of being able you know, to become that, but also, even though he's not big, he's smart. He's a smart player, good gaps, quick stick, fast on retrievals, quick on breakouts. I mean, if you, if, if he wasn't small, he, to me, he would have been the first defenseman taken in the draft and deserved to be, although he, you know, actually a couple defensemen went before him. So I actually, when the Flyers had the 11th pick, and I wrote on there that if the Flyers didn't start a run on defensemen, and you know it might start at 12, and oddly enough with Minnesota, um, so you know I was I was perfectly fine with with Call Caulfield in that spot. And then you know, although I don't think Bobby Brink by any means is you know he's he's Caulfield, he's a he's a talented little hockey player too. You know, and the Flyers, as you said, they recouped the second round pick in, in by trading down three spots. And, uh, you know, they drafted, they actually moved up in the second round to draft Brink. So I think that, uh, you know, I think that was offset to a, to a certain degree. Um, you know, and they, they did, they did trade their third round pick. So they didn't pick again to the fourth round, but, uh, you know, but I mean, in, in essence, essentially it was just a third round pick for Braun, you know, and I would, I would do that, you know, I would do that seven days a week, you know, that was, uh, so I, you know, I, I do think that they they address that a bit in the draft. You know, how how it's all going to come together, I don't know. Um, you, you asked, well, if you have a lot of defensemen are fairly young, but you don't know what can happen. I mean, you you can talk to talk to Sam Moran, right? He's he's missed almost two seasons now. Um, one be, first year because of uh, core muscle issues, is, and then the playoffs he tears an ACL. Well, he's he's played twenty something games in the last two years. You know, you have an expansion draft coming up. Not, not this summer, but the following summer. Uh, you might lose a defenseman in that draft. Funny stuff happens, and you always need prospects coming up through the pipeline. Um, if they had picked Cole Caulfield, I'd have been thrilled. 
you know, I'd say, okay, I, this is a guy who I think is going to be a top six forward, possibly even a you know first line kind of guy. I think he's going to score goals in the league, and he has a chance maybe even to score a lot of goals in the league. But you know, you're it's one you know you can't draft everybody, and I, I do think that you you pick a guy like Caulfield, who I think you know I think it has certainly top three upside, and maybe even you know maybe even like a number two kind of defenseman if if he hits a ceiling, I'm fine with that. You know, there, there's there's a logic and a reasoning behind that. As long as as long as I can see a justification for it, I don't get too bent out of shape over picking this guy or not picking that guy. And don't and the other the last thing I'll say about Caulfield because, you know, I mean Brink is as small as he is in NHL draft history. Picking picking a guy as small as Caulfield, 15. So don't forget, 14 teams passed on him too, right? <laughs> 13 other teams rather, wow. you know. Um, you know, so, you know, he picking, picking a guy that's small 15th, a five foot seven guy, 15th, that set a record. I mean, teams, teams can talk all day long about how the size issue didn't come into play. I think at the end of the day, teams get a little bit of cold feet. And I mean, I, I do think there's a, you know, there's, there's a thing called recency bias where they look at, okay, well, maybe some of these smaller guys, just this, this playoff year who had big offensive regular seasons, you know, didn't do so great in the playoffs. Uh, Goudreau being, you know, a guy that gets cited. But, uh, you know, I don't personally buy into that. I mean, guys can have a number of bad playoff years, and then suddenly they turn it on, and they, you know, <laughs> then all of a sudden their whole reputation changes, right? And, and in terms of can smaller guys deliver in the playoffs, who was more clutch than Danny Briere, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I I think that, you know, I think that that's the kind of player that Caulfield could be, you know, <laughs> a Danny type and maybe better than Danny. So, no, I mean, I, I'd have been thrilled if they picked him, but again, I don't have a, I don't have a huge problem picking Cam York. You yeah. know what it is, Bill? It, it, and I just got to get this out. Um, there were two positions that we've been calling for for years, and then the obvious one was goaltending, but the second one was scoring winger, and he just checked. All, I mean, outside of the size, he just checked all the boxes, and it was just like he's right there. This is what we're looking for, and they. It seemed like they went with the safe pick and not the best player available. There may not have been much room between best player available. He could have been two players later, for all we know. The Flyers are going to tell you that that York was their best guy, but it was a tough pill to swallow. And I was looking forward to reading uh, your prospect updates about um, Caulfield scoring all sorts of goals, just like I did. The first prospect I can really remember is Ob Kubel. Honestly, reading from your your musings because he was scoring at a high rate and he was only a second line player, so I can only imagine what Colefield and his seventy two goals like those are video game numbers. But um, I wish you, we had a we had a small draft party over Jack's house. I wish I wish you could have been there to see Jack's reaction when at first they they didn't draft Caulfield, they traded back. It looked like they were going to get him again, and then they went for Cam York. I, I wish I wish you could have saw Jack's reaction. It was it was priceless. I mean. Uh, dude, Jack, I felt so bad for you when, when they went and drafted York because I, I knew you were uh, a big advocate for Caulfield, man. Well, they're both American, and they announced it like they were taking <laughs> Caulfield, and that, that stung a little bit more. But, oh uh, Bill, you make a really good point. I mean, at the end of the day, I, it feels like I'm poo-pooing Cam York when I'm not. Like, I love a, def- uh, a defensive guy as much as the next guy. 
It's just, you know, we have been looking for that left, uh, that scoring winger. And, you know, maybe Farabee could be that guy, but this guy looked like a pure sniper. And that that's what, you know, that's what I got excited about. Hey, maybe Brink's that guy. I mean, I've never heard a scout use the word hate when they talk about skating ability, but that does seem a little dramatic. So, I mean, we'll see. Um, a lot of it with Fletcher with me, it's not necessarily the players he brought in. It's just the value. And that could be a... Uh, a little nerve-wracking going forward because you always want to have bullets in the chamber to get what you want when you can. And I can see he makes a lot of trades. Uh, the, the only other thing I wanted to talk about with his offseason is Kevin Hayes. And you did talk about the 1A – or I'm sorry, the 2A, 2B with him and Patrick on your second and third line centers. I guess my only question to that and how you feel about this is – the idea is to have Kevin Hayes now and eventually Nolan Patrick supplants him as the number two center. So you're looking at two scenarios, one where he doesn't do that. And then former number two overall pick of the drafts, a bust or number two, he does do that. And now you're paying your third line center 7.1 for like the next, I assume he's, they're expecting Patrick to make this jump in the next two to three years. So you're on the hook for Hayes for quite a while at three C and on top of that, do we really even know if he's a 2C? He's really had one year over 20 goals, one year and 50 points. Yes, he does play offense and defense, which is nice, and he is a Vigneault guy. But that's a lot of money and a lot of term. And it, it's we went from having prospects in a ton of cap to now we need to sign Konechny and Proveroff for the right price, and we're all, we're all through with our cap. This is our team, and on paper, it still looks like a bubble playoff team and not a contender. I mean, yes, we need to see him play, but it's a, this is where I get nervous. So where, do, where are you with all of that? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think those are, you know, valid concerns to a degree. Um, you know, you want to see – now, one thing that does help the Flyers – is that uh, Sean Couturier is in a very team-friendly deal for several more years to come. So that's uh, that's a good thing. You know, they, they got they got uh, Couturier at a bargain price. Um, so that, that helps. That mitigates it a little bit. Um, you know, I, I actually broke down the cap numbers. I did in a blog kind of recently. So going into last year, okay, the Flyers had, I you know, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe they had, 7.05 million in cap space tied into two players, tied into Yuri Laterra and Dale Weiss. 7.05 million. Okay. They get Kevin Hayes at 7.14 million. Would you rather have Kevin Hayes or would you rather have Laterra and Weiss? Right. So, you know, I, I think that that's kind of a no brainer there. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, now will he, you know, will he get you 60 points? I don't know, but, you know, but yes, yes, you want to see, you know, you want to see Patrick take off. You know, I, you know, is bust is a bust is a strong term. I mean, I saw some guys who picked near the top of the draft who just couldn't play in the NHL. That to me is a bust. But right. yeah, obviously, you obviously, you, if you're second overall, you want a guy who's going to be an impact player. Really, really, Nolan's shown flashes of it, just with no consistency. There's been long droughts in there, which isn't unusual for a young player. I, I want to see. I want to see Nolan push himself a little bit more on a game in and game out basis. You know, get get in those areas between, you know, uh, below and inside the dots. You know, and and that's where he, that's where he can be effective. And you know, he he drifts the walls sometimes off to the perimeter. I don't find him very effective when he's a perimeter player. I want I want to see him be more assertive. Um, 
Now, you know, Hayes has played wing too. Actually, when Hayes first went to the Rangers, you know, they didn't know whether he was going to be a winger or a center. If, if, if it works out that way, you know, that, that Patrick ends up somewhere else because he just isn't developing, well, then maybe Morgan Frost becomes, <laughs> becomes your center instead of a winger because it looks like he's going to have to break in at wing. You know, and we haven't even talked about Morgan yet. I, I'm sure we'll talk about the kids before we sign off on here. But, oh, yeah. uh, you know, there are there are other possibilities. And, you know, one thing that uh, Fletcher did do this offseason, and I think most people do agree with was good, he didn't give up any prospects. Uh, all of the top prospects are still in the system. And maybe guys are, you know, pushed back a year or, or whatever, you know, but at least there's other options. If something doesn't work out, you, you know, you have some other players with some pretty high upsides that you can try in there. Um, you know, again, Caulfield would have been terrific. I, I you know, I, they had a group of three players and Chuck had said this when they, when they dropped back from 11th to 14th, there was a group of three that they had ranked just about equally. Um, and you know, and, and they weren't going to go for a goalie. So when they figured Florida might go for Spencer Knight, and they did, so they figured, okay, that's, one of the one of the guys will drop to us, and this is not based on any you know any scout or anyone in the organization telling me because uh, even though I do get some stuff, I mean I'm not privy to something that kind of that inside, but I suspect that uh, I suspect the three players were Boldy, obviously York because they took him, you know, and I think Caulfield might have been the other guy. So you know, it, it just came down to you know Boldy was off the board, and so it kind of came down to those two guys. And I, I think they just went, you know, go down the middle, go for the defenseman. So, you know, it's uh, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, Boldy's kind of a fascinating player, but you know, maybe uh, you know, talk about a talk about a guy who can score a lot of goals. Well, maybe uh, you know, maybe in a year or two, you know, maybe a little bit down the line, maybe Isaac Ratcliffe could be that guy. I mean, fifty goals in the you know fifty goals this year in the Ontario League. Hell another I think sixteen in the playoffs, sixty six goal season. I mean, that's nothing to he, he was draft plus two, and he's a big kid, and he was playing with a top playmaker. But still, you know, there, there's upside there. The, the kid can certainly score, and he just has to he just has to translate his game to the pro level. So, you know, maybe Farabee can be that guy. Maybe, and he also brings you that two-way game that, that's so valuable in today's game. And, and Frost is a dynamic young playmaker. So there, there is talent in the system. I mean, part of the reason why they were looking to, to replenish the defensive core is because if you go back to uh, with the, after they picked Provorov with you know I think the the eighth pick in 2015, they traded up to get Konechny, right? Then they take Rubsov the next year, then they take two forwards last year, or they they rather they take two two forwards in Patrick and Frost, and they took two forwards last year in in Farabee and O'Brien. So it had been a long time since they picked a defenseman in the first round, and they saw a kid they really liked who said it was the, the number one defenseman on the top probably junior program in the world. And so they, you know, I, I, you know, I think that it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasoning to that. You, you want to always have players at a variety of positions, a variety of different styles. That's what I like about their forward group is that you have, you know, they're, they're not clones of one another. They, they check a lot of different kind of boxes and different styles. So, you know, as, as opportunities open up, you know, you start to plug some of these kids in now, you know, hopefully as soon as this year in some cases, but, We'll see. Bill, can I ask you, because you, you brought up a couple names that I was hoping to get to there. And, you know, obviously the, the sexy names are, are guys like Farabee, Frost, uh, even Radcliffe comes up from time to time. 
Um, you know, everybody knows there's that, that third right-wing spot open. Um, you recently put out a, a couple articles. You put a, a series of articles out on players that could potentially uh, start in that spot. Um, a guy that I think, you know, we all kind of overlook, and, and for good reason because he was hurt all last year, uh, is a guy uh, like Jermaine Rupstov. Um, it is, like, I'm to the point where I'm wondering, I, I just kind of don't see how he ever gets onto this roster. Is is there really a chance, is there really an opportunity for him to leapfrog some of these names now and, and make a splash and make a splash here and get on this team at some point? Or how do you see Rupstov's future panning out? Yeah. Uh, you know, the tough thing with Garamon is that he got off to a really good start with the Phantoms last year. Mm-hmm. Um, really like 10 points in 13 games. He played 14, but his shoulder, his uh, season ending shoulder injury was uh, in the first period of the 14th game. So never really got to play that 14th game. When he was in junior hockey, uh, you know, he kind of shuttled back and forth between center and right wing. I think he's more a natural center than winger, but, you know, but he's, he's a two way player, very responsible defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just he played so little last year that I think he's likely to go back to the Phantoms. There, there's a couple scenarios though, where I could see him making the team, if not right out, you know, not right out of the gates at some point within the next year, two spots. Again, because he can play center or wing, he could be uh, he could be a winger on the on the third line potentially, maybe, um, you know. And again, and and I mean, I got into somebody you know with this on on uh, social media as well, you know. And this this came right from Garamond and also came from uh, Chris Pryor and Ron Hextall a year ago, trying to talk about you know why he had such a kind of even though they won the Memorial Cup, why his numbers didn't look so good. And, um, Garamond said, and, and the Flyers, uh, GM and assistant GM at the time said, well, when he, when he went to, uh, Bathurst, even though he was playing on scoring lines, um, you know, they really wanted him to focus on his off play and be the kind of the defensively responsible guy who would, you know, hang a little higher in the zone, um, you know, help, help out on those kind of off puck areas, especially because they had a center who could really move the puck up the ice. And he also played power play one, where his numbers weren't great. Where, but that's where they wanted to be a little bit more aggressive. But anyway, so he can he can play center or he can play wing, and he's a two way guy. So you know, potentially he could be he could play a, a wing, uh, like a third line kind of role if if Lawton is playing fourth line center, or he could flip flop it potentially within the next year or so. Maybe maybe Lawton, who has some wing experience, comes up and he plays. You know, he plays a wing and, and Rubsov is your fourth line center. So those are those would kind of be the ways, you know, I could see him sticking at some point. He has he has some offensive skill, too. But I think the number one thing with Rubsov that, that the number one thing that recommends him is he's uh, he, he's a pretty smart player without the puck and, and he is sound defensively. And that's again, you know, those two way forwards often, you know, they have an easier time sometimes than the guy with a ton of offensive skill who. uh you know, drives his coach nuts a little bit right. just because he does back check and he, he takes a lot of risks. So, you know, I mean, like Konechny, uh, for all the good that Travis does, you know, I, I know that he, I know he drove Hack a little bit nuts and he drove uh, he drove Gordo a little bit nuts. But then again, when he's scoring 24 goals and he has upside to, you know, be a 60 point guy, you live with it and you work with him. But, uh, you know, but as, as a support guy, I think is where, you know, to answer your question where I think you can see groups up at some point. 
Yeah, I, I think that's why I'm I'm so intrigued, and I'm I'm kind of like, man, he he's really gonna have to, you know, really really impress people to to make this roster. I mean, unless somebody gets hurt and things like that, which we hope don't happen. Um, but there there's names he has to leapfrog now, and it you know it sucks, but that's life. So I was just kind of curious to to figure out what what his situation kind of looks like there. Um, you know, obviously, for for me, I would like to see Farabee or, or a Frost, you know, make that third right-wing spot. Um, but if they don't, in, in one of your articles as well, you had, uh, you talked about Tyler Pitlick a little bit. I mean, we talked about him a little bit at the beginning of the show. Um, but it sounds like, you know, based off what guys like Ch- uh, Chuck Fletcher and former coaches like Hitchcock and, and uh, Montgomery have said that, you know, he could provide some uh, necessary traits that this team lacked last year, like you mentioned uh, two-way play on the wing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he's a, you know, he's a bigger guy, six-two, uh-huh. two hundred plus pounds. Good skater, though. You know, I, I think sometimes people assume that they, they see a guy his size who's not a top of the lineup guy. Got to be slow. He's not slow. He's a, he's a good skater going north south. Very very tenacious around the puck. Always 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 digging for pucks and usually winning a lot of those battles. Um, Ken Hitchcock loved him, and actually Hitchcock moved him up from the fourth line to the third line. Uh, Radek Faxa was was the center in that line, and uh, Antoine Roussel was in that line quite a bit. And and he responded. I mean, he had 14 goals in a third line from a third line. You know, 14 goals in a third line is nothing to you know, nothing to uh, take too lightly. That's not easy to do because you're doing it almost all at even strength. Yeah, um, not that Radic Fax is a slouch or anything, but he's no uh, Jamie Benn or Tyler Sagan either. Well, exactly, exactly. You know, he's not, he's not a top of the lineup guy. He's a, he's a middle of the lineup guy, and those two had really good chemistry. This past year, he was on pace again for about another fourteen goals. Unfortunately, and that, that's been really the story with with Pitlick, is that when he was with Edmonton, he tore his ACL, so that ruined a, a year plus for him. And then the last season with Dallas, uh, he broke his wrist and he missed like about 36 games or something like that. Actually, he came back against the Flyers late in the season and scored a goal in the Flyers. <laughs> I was waiting for that, man. I, yeah, so was that. I. So was I, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. But, but that, you know, and, and so Pitlick could be third line. He could be fourth line. Uh, if it's not one of the kids, I see him as kind of the field leader. If it's, if it's not one of the kids, as the guy who would, would at least start the year. In, in that third line spot, but that could change. Bill, you you uh, you cover a little bit of Dallas too, is that right? I yeah, for uh, I mean, I'm still technically the the Stars writer at Hockey Buzz. I just even though I still watch most of the Stars games, just with all the other stuff, I don't get as much writing time on the Stars as I as I did previously. But uh, yeah, I covered I covered the Stars on you know <laughs> several days a week. But still watching all the games uh, for about four years for hockey, but so they're another team I know fairly well. So yeah, so you, it's not like you're just shooting from the hip here on Pitlick. You're like, you've seen him play for the last couple of years, so you're not, you know, you're not just throwing anything out there. You've seen him play. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I and I would say that you know he's not uh, not a gifted goal scorer, but he's a guy who can score in scrambles around the net. You know, he's not again, he's not a zero offensively. He just doesn't have the best of hands, and he's not a guy. You know, if you're asking Tyler Pitlick to lug the puck up the ice, well, you're you're asking the wrong guy. That's not that's not his strength. His strength is forecheck, backcheck, kills some penalties, digs for pucks, and he'll score you the odd goal here and there. And 
you know, for a for a bottom six guy, that's kind of what you need. And and the, you know, and he did he did it pretty consistently when he was healthy. So yeah, I mean, I I think that that was you know, to me, it was kind of a sneaky good little pickup. Um, uh, I liked Ryan Hartman, but I I don't you know Hartman to me was very has always been inconsistent. It's why he's going to his fourth organization, you know. And I liked I liked Ryan some things I saw out of him. Actually, I liked him offensively. I thought he was a little underrated offensively, but. I thought he was weak defensively. When I talked about the weak side winger breakdowns, you know, in, in his short time with the Flyers, he was he was part of multiple ones. So, you know, I think if nothing else, you got a little better defensively, and I think you got a little more consistent too. Well, that makes me feel better about our fourth line because that's where I imagined him before he was traded. Um, I was reading some of your stuff. I don't want to put any words in your mouth or anything, but it, it did seem at some point you've really, or you maybe you still do, strongly feel that it's going to be Frost, Frost or Farabee or at least a young player that makes this team as our third-line winger. Is that still correct? Uh, no. Uh, you know, what, what uh, Chuck had said and, and Brent Flyer had said is that ideally he'd like all the kids to start out with the Phantoms. Now, with Farabee, this, this requires a little bit of an explanation with the Joel. Um, I don't know if everybody understands how the slide rule works. Now, if a player comes out of Canadian junior hockey or to Europe uh, when he's before he turns 20 years old, um, they can slide his contract back to that league, to the OHL or Western League or Quebec League or European League. So even if he's under contract, that doesn't count as a year on his entry-level deal. Well, kids who, are, kids who are coming over, either from Europe or from college, you can also slide them to the American League before they turn 20. So in other words, as long as Farabee doesn't play more than nine games in the NHL this season, um, t- at 10 or more, you trigger the first year of his entry-level deal. You almost get a free year of development on him because he'll still have three years left you know, on his entry-level deal come a year from now. And as guys are becoming restricted free agents like Nolan Patrick and, and Lindblom a year from now, you know, it's good to it's good to be able to have a guy who's three years from potentially reaching that status. Now, if, if Joel comes in and kills it and he's clearly ready for the NHL, then you don't hold him back. But, you know, Joel only has one year of collegiate hockey and he's making the jump. This is his first NHL camp because collegiate players can't be in NHL camps. And, you know, he still is only about 170 pounds. He, he still needs to fill out just a little bit, not in terms of, you know, maybe show up right away, but sometimes that grind of that 82-game schedule. You know, in college hockey, you're playing basically on the weekends. You know, you practice during the week and you play Friday, Saturday. It's a whole different, it's a whole different you know, on-ice thing. And, and if you guys remember Carter Hart talking about all the off-ice adjustments, just, just day-to-day kind of stuff. You know, doing your laundry, paying your bills. I mean, when you're in junior hockey, you know, you have you have billet families. When you're in, in college, you have, you know, you have your dorms, you have whatever. But, you know, but, but a lot of stuff is provided for athletes. You know, all of a sudden you find yourself in, in the pro level. You got to figure out day-to-day life and, you know, all, all that all that kind of stuff. You know, and, and you, do, you do get a certain amount of help, but there's uh, – there, those are their adjustments there to make as well. And what Brent Flair had said is that could Joel jump to the NHL right now? Maybe he could. Um, is it can, can he jump in right away and stand up to the, the 82 game grind and the demands that come with it? He didn't know if that was realistic or not. That's a direct quote from for Brent Flair. Um, 
in, in Morgan Frost's case, you know, Morgan is going to be switching from, from center to wing. And he did play wing for the World Junior Team, Team Canada, uh, last year, and he racked up points. I'm not worried about not worried about that. With Morgan, to me, it's it's really uh, two big things to adapt to. Number one is his pacing. Uh, Morgan and you know they always had the CHL top prospects game for the kids who were uh, eligible for the next draft, and in that. Uh, even though there were some negative scouting reports on, on Morgan's skating, all of a sudden they have the top prospect showcase. Well, lo and behold, Frost wins fastest skater with the puck and without the puck. Oh. So Morgan can fly, and, and you could you could watch his highlight clips uh, or just, you know, not just highlights, but if you, you'd watch the Sue Greyhounds play, a couple times a game he would just take off with the puck and no one would catch him. But the flip side of that is his preferred style of play is to slow the play down. He'll pull up over the blue line and kind of study his options a little bit and make a play. And he sees the ice really well. And he could, you know, he's very surgical. And the way he passes the puck, his passing and playmaking is all, you know, that is NHL caliber. No doubt about that. But if you don't, if you're not moving your feet, you know, and you're small, I mean, unless you're Wayne Gretzky, that is a hard way to play successfully in the NHL. He has to play at, at his fastest pace. And still make those same kind of plays, and that's going to take a little time. Uh, that's something that I think that uh, a little AHL time and you know, and the, and the Flyers development coaches staying on them about you know, move your feet, move your feet, move your feet. Don't slow down. Keep the pace, keep cranking up the pace, which is you know takes a little while to to commit to something you do consistently. That, that's the one thing I think he needs to work on. The other one being that you know a year ago. I mean, what was he like? Plus, he he led he led the whole CHL in plus minus, and it was something ridiculous, like plus sixty eight, plus seventy one, something like that. Again, it's not in front of me. Um, but and, and wh- why was his plus minus that high? You know, it wasn't that he was the best defensive center around. It was because his line always had the puck, mm-hmm. right? He he was playing with Boris Kachuk and uh, with Taylor Radish, uh, Tampa Bay prospects. <laughs> and you couldn't get the you couldn't get the puck away from that line, and I mean that's a that's a very exciting thing, but it's not that way in the pros. You got to learn to play without the puck, and his off puck play, you know, he would usually go to the right spots and those kind of things. But you know, he was even though he was a good penalty killer because of his speed and he could dart in the passing lanes and stuff. You know, I think Morgan was kind of a you know he was fine. He was fine as a two hundred foot player, but you know, definitely room to improve. And, and at the pro level, you know, it's just just all those kind of things. The difference between being a good junior and being a good pro, you know, and, and he's got a he's got a learning curve to navigate with that. And you know, Isaac Ratcliffe, the same thing. He's got to navigate the the learning curve as well. So, uh, you know, just just from the statements that Chuck Fletcher had and and Bren had, you know, if one of the kids comes out and just just kills it the whole preseason, then then I think you could see it. But I think their preference is. And it's not the end of the world. I mean, look, Claude Giroux spent almost half a year in the American League, right? Sandheim spent a year in the American League. So just you know, having a, having some development time with the with the farm team isn't the end of the world. Again, I think that's their preference. But I mean, it, it would it be a phenomenal scenario if, if one of the kids comes in, Frost or Farabee, and just you know, this kid belongs. There's no holding him back. Then yeah, I think you become more dangerous offensively. And then you look at, you know, maybe, you know, then all of a sudden you're looking at three lines that can score. You could put Pitlick on the fourth line and, 
You know, I, I think I think a Rafa, Lott, and Pitlick fourth line might be the best fourth line the Flyers have had in a long, long time. Hell yeah. So, you know, if, if things were to work out that way, that would be great. But, but uh, it doesn't it doesn't sound to me like they're going into camp counting on that happening. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like there's an awful lot working against Frost and Farabee outside of them really lighting it up. So are you, are you leaning towards at this point that we see Pitlick on the third line and it's more likely we see a guy like Vorobiev get another shot on the fourth live or Torinsky or something like that? Uh, the guy that the guy that a couple of flyers people have talked up to me, and I know this, I know people are going to groan when they hear it because it's not a, not a sexy name. Uh, Andy Andreoff, who the Flyers signed on July first, spent most of last year in the American League, but before that was with L.A. They like him as a fourth line guy. Whether he's going to be the twelfth or thirteenth forward, maybe Vorobiev. Vorobiev, uh, you know, Vorobiev has some doubters and, and has to. You know, address some consistency issues. Um, but uh, Vorobiev, you know, Vorobiev, now Vorobiev is an interesting case in point just because, remember, first day, last day at camp, he was tremendous. And tremendous on both sides of the puck. He did, he did, he did not look out of place whatsoever. But what happened as soon as the game started counting and everybody picks up the pace at regular season level, he looked like a deer in the headlights. So, you know, it's not an uncommon thing for a kid to stand out in camp and then struggle once it starts. Um, yeah, Vorobia possibly could. I, you know, I like Andreoff better as a 13th forward than as a 12th. Um, you know, I, I mean, Chris Stewart is on is in in camp as an invite player, and I, you know, I don't necessarily see Stewart making it to the roster. I, so you know, Albe Kubel could make it as your 12th or 13th forward. I don't see Albe Kubel right now as a, as being on the third line. So, yeah, I mean, the, there's those couple of spots that are in there. And maybe, you know, maybe that would be a spot where you might see a young player, you know, win that spot uh, on the fourth line. And what uh, what Vorobiev does have going for him is that he is usually pretty solid without the puck. And, that, again, that goes, that goes a long way with coaches sometimes. Hey, Bill, real quick, you mentioned a young guy could fill the fourth spot line. Uh, we had the pleasure of t- uh, chatting uh, <clears throat> with Connor Bunneman last week. Last week. Awesome kid. Um, we told him he needs to make the roster next year. You had him as an honorable mention in your article. Is there a realistic shot for him to be on the roster at some point this year? Possibly. You know, I, I thought Connor quietly had a really nice rookie year for the Phantoms last year. You know, and uh, you know he uh, they they were they were really hurt you know, between injuries and columns. And just things kind of fell apart for the Phantoms around midseason. I thought Connor was. You know, was it was a nice surprise for the team. Um, if he plays in the NHL, he'll be a you know probably a bottom six kind of guy. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't see him being like the top of the line for call, but but if he if he advances in year two with a, a similar rate to where he did year one, then yeah, I, I do think at some point possibly you could see him in the in the call up mix. Uh, if not this year, then maybe in another year out in his third pro year. But I you know I wouldn't write him off. I wouldn't write David Kasha off either as a as a guy who you know, certain, almost certainly not right out of camp, but maybe at some point, in, you know, in the next year or so, you know, might be a guy who could work his way up in the mix. It's nice. I mean, you know, they actually have uh, they actually have some depth of kids down there, you know, that uh, have a chance to play at this level and in, in some kind of a capacity. So, you know, it's, uh, that's a good thing. I mean, they've drafted pretty well. Yeah, hey, Bill, you mentioned uh, Andreoff as a, 
possibility for that fourth line slot. And uh, the one concern I have going into the season, which I believe me and Jim share the same concern here, is the Flyers really lack a real gritty player. And Andrioff would fill that role, but so would a knack, like you had mentioned. What do you feel about the grittiness going into the season of uh, physicality-wise? I think I think you need uh, you know I think you need to me to me you always have to have a mix of players. I don't want to be you know I don't want a lineup that's big and slow. I don't want a lineup that's too you know that's entirely small either. You know I don't I don't want nothing. I don't want a lineup that's nothing but muck, muckers and grinders. But I do think you need guys who go into the corners who do bring some physicality. And to me, the hardest teams to play against are the teams that have a good mix. And that that's been a piece that's been missing. Um, you know, to, in terms of consistency. So that, that is kind of the niche that he would fill in the, in the bottom half of the lineup. Um, so, you know, I'd sort of a really not even bottom half really is a fourth line kind of guy. So that would be if he makes it where he would fit. And although I don't see Curtis Gabriel making the team to start with, I mean, you know, if Curtis Gabriel's making the team, he knows why he's on the team. It, it's to, uh, you know, be an agitator and, uh, you know, a physical guy and, to the extent there is fighting anymore in the league, because there's hardly any anywhere, you know, uh, that's you know that that's what uh, that's what Curtis Gabriel does. He comes in, he stirs things up for the better or for the worse. So, you know, I mean that that's why they added him. Andrioff is, I think, a better hockey player, um, you know, generally speaking. So, yeah, I mean, I think that they they tried to address that to a degree. I do think, you know, I do think you need some of that in your lineup. <laughs> you don't want too much where you know you're playing undisciplined. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, um, you know, I do think they tried to, I think they tried to address that to some degree. And I, I think you want to have a little bit of that. Ideally, you know, you have a guy who can also play as well. So, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, and I know he's not the favorite person around Philadelphia, but there's not a lot of Tom Wilson's who can, you know, be a hated player. And, you know, guys have their head in a swivel every time he's in the ice, but can also, you know, come out and go, go out and skate regular shifts and play pretty well for you, too, when he wants to. So, you know, I, I think that uh, yeah, I think that they're they're looking they're looking for at least that that is an option in the in their lineup. Uh, Obey Kubel uh, does give you physical play as well. Um, you know, and, and he has to figure out a little bit of the discipline line as well. So he's you know he's maybe a guy for that role as well. I, I think that uh, you know it's rarely a starting twelve. I think you'll see guys kind of rotating in and out, and they also have to figure out in the blue line. You know, uh, I, while I think right now Robert Haig is your seven and and uh, Moran is your eight, you're always going to have injuries. You're always going to have, you know, situations and matchups. So, yeah, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I think that that is something they want to address. But, I mean, you know, typically speaking, um, you know, I'll, you don't want to overgeneralize because, I mean, look, Vino started Tanner Glass, you know, most every game for a while. But I think generally Vino's teams are not known as very physically aggressive, you know, hitting, agitating kind of teams. So you know, I don't I don't know how much of that element they're going to try to get in there, but they have a few guys that you know they think can do that. And just to wrap up to uh, the initial point here, because we've talked a lot of about a lot of theoreticals and a lot of on paper kind of things. That to me is why I think it's fair to say that you know until the Flyers prove, you know, prove that these pieces come together and they're better. You know, they. I mean, I think there's. It's fair to be skeptical as to how much better they'll actually be. But you know, but I think the potential is there. I think. I think I look at the team on paper, 
I look at the team two seasons ago that had 98 points. To me, this is a better team on paper than that one was. If you're a hundred point team, one more you know, one more win than that team had, you know, you're certainly a playoff team. You might even be a home ice team in the first round. So, you know, they they got a lot to prove. I, but I do think that the, you know, potentially the the elements are there. Just have to see how they come together. Interesting that you brought that up, Bill, because my last two questions for you were going to be: Do the Flyers hit a hundred points this year? And if so, is that enough to sneak into the playoffs? A hundred, yeah. No, no team has ever missed the playoffs with 100 points. I mean, uh, the so Metro's was, pretty... I mean, I, I, I don't know if you're seeing what everyone's saying, but the Metro's improved. It was pretty good last year. It's improved. I don't agree with that. I, I don't necessarily agree that the Metro's that improved. Okay. Um, yeah, now, now I think the Rangers and the Devils got better, and they're going to be, you know, good teams in the long term. But they also had the furthest to go, though. I agree. I mean, those those were your bottom teams that really were not playoff teams. Never really made a run of being playoff teams, and they had, you know, they had a they had a ways to go. And, and could they, you know, did they work their way up maybe into the bubble? Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think things could come together where you know where they they take a jump at the standings. Uh, are they top of the division teams? No, I don't, I don't think they are still. I think they could be, you know, third. You know, third place if everything really gels. Wild card, you know, maybe a wild card team. Who knows? Maybe the mix for that. Or they can still miss the playoffs. Sure. I think people are counting on an awful lot from Hughes and Kako, you know, respectively with the Devils and the Rangers. Kids tend to have inconsistencies. And if they're expecting those guys to come right on into the league and score 75 points or whatever their first year, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, you don't have many Connor McDavid who come right in and dominate immediately. I think Hughes is going to have, you know, his growth cycle, and Kako's going to have his learning cycle as well, too. So, but, but you know, I love I that you said that. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I, I love that you said that because if anybody should know about, you know, growing pains with young players and things like that, it should be Philadelphia fans, no? And then as soon as the Rangers go and draft guys like Hughes, Kako, and whoever the hell else, it's oh, they're they're going to pass us, they're going to pass us. They drafted one kid, right? And yeah, absolutely. And look at Edmonton, right? Connor McDavid is everything he could, you know, anything they could have hoped he would have been, right? Uh-huh. He, he immediately, 100 point guy in the league. He's already won a Hart Trophy. You know, despite adding talent to caliber of McDavid and, and Drysidle, Edmonton is still not a good team, right? Mm-hmm. Look, look at look at Buffalo. They, they get Eichel, they pick first overall, they get Darlene, both, you know, and, and now, and it took Eichel some time. Eichel didn't come right in and dominate. And Eichel's hitting his stride where he's a really, really fine young player. And, you know, Darlene was everything they hoped he would be. Is Buffalo? Buffalo hasn't been back to the playoffs, and they're still not a contender, and they still have a ways to go. I, I think, you know, I, I think people are counting on too much too soon sometimes from, from young players. You have to have, you know, and obviously the Rangers added Panarin. On the flip side, their number one center is Mika Zabinijad, and then there's a drop-off. <laughs> So they are I love it. I love it right now. You know, so and then the rest of the division, I, I think that the Capitals are still a fine team. I think the gap is narrowing, but I would still have the Capitals as a team to beat, certainly in the Metro, certainly as a playoff team. Uh, I think the Penguins, I think they're they I think they have one more year potentially of Stanley Cup window. And maybe the you know, maybe the window's closed now. I don't know. But you know, I, I still have to respect the, the talent they have there, that it's not closed yet. But they're, certainly the gap is much more narrow with the Penguins than it's been in years and years and years. And to me, 
the bill is coming due for all the if you guys ever look at how many years in a row they didn't didn't have a first round pick it was like something like seven out of eight years that bill comes due they don't have much of a farm system you know and crosby's in his 30s and malkin's in his 30s and letang is in his 30s you know i don't know when the, i don't know if the fall is coming this year but it's coming so you know i i don't i don't think they're a favorite to win the division you know i still think they're a playoff team but are, are they you know are they a wild card team are they third i don't know carolina love their talent you know i think they're the real deal talent wise it's a tough division flyers are in um still have suspect goaltending i mean you know i don't i don't understand their owner whatsoever i don't <laughs> i don't know how you, I, I don't understand how you tell your gm we're not paying aho what he asks for i mean there there is your best player and he had to go and sign a sign an offer sheet in Montreal that uh, you know I mean Montreal's hope to get him was they were hoping hoping Carolina's ownership was so cheap that they would see the upfront signing bonus or whatever and say no that was their hope and, and you know and then and Waddell you know uh, went to him and said we got to match this this is actually pretty favorable for us so they did speaking of Waddell they go into the summer. And after Waddell, you know, built the team last year into a, a team that gets the conference final, they don't even give him a new contract. He had to go and interview in Minnesota to have a, you know, before they would before they would pay the guy and, and rehire him. That's crazy. So I don't, you know, and they still they still have lousy goaltending there. I mean, come on, Peter Morozik is they're still the number one goalie. So you know, over there. So yeah, I mean, for all the talent they have there. You know, is Justin Williams going to retire or not? I don't know. He's he still is the heart and soul leader of that team. So for all the talent they have, and I love their young blue lines and a lot of things about that about that hockey team. You know, I I don't know what they're going to do. And I thought the Islanders kind of caught lightning in the bottle a little bit last year. Who talked about cutting goals against average? They went from thirty first to first in in a single year, and that's crazy. I I've never did not know that. That's amazing. They went they went from worst. Yeah, it went worst to first in goals against average. Wow. Now that's the Barry Trotz effect, but that's also everybody buying in and being the sum of the parts. And Robin Leonard having an unbelievable year, and they didn't even resign him. Um, anything that you wanna you wanna plug there? I mean, I know you have a lot you can plug. Do you wanna you wanna get it out there? Uh, I do broadcasters roundtable, uh, which is once a month with uh, Jim Jackson, uh, Tim Saunders, Steve Coates, Chris Terry, and myself. Uh, Bundy and I have a have a podcast on these are all these all by the way can be found on FlyersRadio247.com, which is the Flyers uh, internet radio station. Um, you know, and and if you can't catch it live, they're usually that well they're all available for download. Um, so Chris and I do a show called Real Deal Hockey with Bundy and Bill, um, and we also do a Facebook Live um, pretty much every Friday during the season. Uh, Brian Smith of the Flyers and I do a show called Flyer Buzz. We do that a few times a month. So uh, you know, so apart from the writing work, you can you know hear our, hear our podcast stuff, and that's a that's a lot of fun. Uh, we have uh, just a whole lot of content coming up on the Flyers website, the daily blogs and Hockey Buzz, and you know, and and people that are interested in the the Flyers of the past, uh, you know, please do check out the Flyers alumni Facebook page and and Twitter page as well. Uh, and the cool thing with the Flyers alumni is some alumni groups are are kind of you know a group of alumni from just one era of the team. You know, it might be guys from the 80s or or wherever, you know, early 90s. 
the cool thing with the Flyers alumni is these guys get together, and it doesn't matter what era of the team you know that that you followed. You know, like this past weekend they had the alumni fantasy camp, and uh, you know Lappy is there, and Mark Howe is there, and uh, and Danny Briere and Marty Biron, and you know, and and Joe Watson, Bob Kelly. I mean, you're talking guys from the '70s, '80s, '90s, and the 2000s, and they all get along great. You know, they're all just it's all just kind of it is it's like a big family environment you know they uh, you know and then it's, you know, i just i just love working with those guys so so if you're kind of wondering where flyers from pretty much any year of team history whether it's a guy who was with the team you know five years ago 10 years ago 15 25 years ago or the really early years you know we kind of update what they're doing you know what events they're doing they, they do a lot of great charity work around you know around the area and that's very rewarding working with those guys and covering what they're doing. That's awesome, Bill. Really awesome. I, I we have uh, Brian Prop coming up in September. I'm not sure if, you, if, you, if you're in contact with him or not. Um, yeah, I know Proper really well. And he, he has that uh, WCRE game uh, that he does every the celebrity, the celebrity game every year. And Proper's a great guy. I mean, you know, uh, Brian is a very inspirational guy, too, because as I, as I think you guys know, Brian had a stroke a couple of years ago. Yeah. Just to just to talk to them, you wouldn't even know. You wouldn't even know. Brian still plays golf. He still plays hockey. You know, wow. he's uh, you know Brian's doing Brian's doing great. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, yeah that that's another event that's coming up at the uh, Skate Zone in Voorhees in uh, early September. So that's uh, that'd be a fun thing if you're already coming out for Flyers Camp and whatever. That would be a cool thing to check out. That supports a lot of organizations in South Jersey. I was going to ask that. That's something that we can attend. Yeah, that's open. That's open. Anybody can go to it. That's awesome. All right. I mean, uh, I think we pretty much covered everything. There's nothing really that that we left out, is there? I mean, we we're going about 90 minutes here. I think we touched on everything, no? Yeah. If well, I asked anything else, I'd have to brew a cup of coffee. <laughs> and I could too. <laughs> Did I, I don't? Right. I'm not sure if I got a yes from you real quick, Bill. Did the Flyers make the playoffs? Uh, I'm so not a prediction guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I noticed really, that. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, like whether it's you know because I think I you know I, I'm not ducking it, but I think the more the more you see hockey, the more you realize how unpredictable the sport really is. Now you're right. And, and you know, like, and I, you know, and I'll just I'll just say this before I give you my prediction. La, you know, la, last year at this time, who was predicting the Islanders making the playoffs That's after true. they lose to Varus, right? Yeah. yeah. You know. Funny things happen in the game, and, and who in January was going to say, "Oh, you know, the team in the basement—that's your Cup champion this year." So, you know, I, I think that that funny things happen, or you know, Tampa going out in the first round of the playoffs. It's just, you know, that that's part of the that's part of the whole lore of the game, is that so much of it, so much of it, uh, is swings of momentum. You know, there's still a lot of emotion that's in the game too. So. You know, when when you make predictions, please, please, please take them with a mountain of salt. <laughs> but I, I have the Flyers as a as a wild card team. Uh, I thought you were going to say Stanley Cup. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill, man, thanks so much for coming on. It was a pleasure having you. I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, yeah, we look forward to the upcoming season. Look look forward to checking out all your stuff, man. Uh, my pleasure. It was fun. Awesome. We'll talk soon. Thanks again. Take Thank care, you, Bill. All right, there he is, everyone, Bill Meltzer. Um, guys, I'm not sure there's too much else to cover. I mean, we could just hang this one up right now, no? Yeah, but that was that was that was quite a uh, 
quite a while we went there, which I, I could have kept going, but oh my yeah, God. It was a, what a great it, guy, man. I mean, he just, you can tell he like never even stutters when he talks. He knows what he's, <laughs> he knows what he wants to say. He's been around the game, especially this team for quite some time. Like he knows what he's doing. He's seen, kind of seen it all, you know I mean? We just covered all, months, months worth of topics in 90 minutes, nonstop. And he, all the content he releases now, it's, it's the past, present and future. He covers it all. He, you know, he is the Flyers. I don't even want to call him a blogger because he's much more than that. He blogs, he podcasts, he does articles, the NHL, the Flyers. They all ask him to do stuff. The alumni, he's got everything going on, you know, he's so you, you got to respect that. Yeah. No, I mean, he's he's what you when you get into this business, he's if you reach his status, you, you're there. You know what I mean? Like it was a real pleasure having him on a uh I can't say that we and him see eye to eye on the Flyers and Fletcher, but who do I see eye to eye with on that? So. Yeah, that that's that's the spice of life when people have different opinions. You know what I mean? That's and that's why that's why we're doing what we're doing because it's fun. You like to hear different opinions. So, to be honest, I, I wasn't. I'm a little surprised that I really thought that we were expecting Farabee or Frost to make this team, and he made me think that we're looking at Pitlick and a guy I barely heard of, and I'm and he's probably right. You know, and I'm, I'm like, wow, like I really thought the kids were going to start the youth movement, but maybe that's not the case unless they really go off the rails, which I don't see happening. So that like was they really, shot. really got impressed. Like they really actually have to make the team. You know what I mean? Right. And it's it's just like I, did, I really didn't expect that. I thought they were I thought they were ready. I really did. I thought this is what the prospects were for. And I understand the extra year of development, but it's a uh, it's a little it's it was it was tough, hard just to. Uh, to hear and it's like when he said no that's not exactly how it is i was like okay well i probably got it wrong and then he went on and he starts naming guys i'm like oh my god they they sign these guys to actually play for the flyers I was like oh my okay <laughs> like you know and i'm not even talking about chris stewart like i'm talking about guys that have been ahl call-ups for their whole careers i'm like oh, i kind of i don't know how i feel about that but then again let's let's play it out but it was a little hard to hear <laughs> i'm not gonna lie it's gonna be i believe him though that's the thing Kyle, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here, buddy. All right. Quiet quiet night from you. Yeah. You're That's right probably my fault. I uh, I was a Bill disciple going back quite a while, and I, I went off the rails a bit. I mean, you didn't have anything you wanted to ask there, Kyle? Did we ask everything for you there? You yeah, got one in. I mean, yeah, I got one in. It was good. <laughs> it was about grit, which is very Kyle. I like that. All right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's been a uh, yeah. Is there anything Any you want to ask up? me, Kyle, before we wrap up? <laughs> <laughs> nah, Jim. I'm good, buddy. All right, then. What do you think, guys? Want to put a cherry on this one? We're like uh, 96 minutes in. We're getting to that, oh, that time it? where it's yeah, crazy, right? Time flies. Um, it's getting you know my bedtime. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it, guys. You want to throw your Twitter handles out there, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. Jack underscore HW radio. I am always looking for a good conversation. And uh, Jim, did you want to, uh, you know, drop that we might be having a little battle here, here on HW radio? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So first week of September, we're going to have dueling episodes. So we're going to put out two episodes uh, during the same week. Maybe not same night, maybe same night. We'll see. Uh, we're we're going to have Dan, the flyer fan uh, with Jack and they're going to debate the, uh, you know, the value of uh, some of Chuck Fletcher's moves. And then in the other episode, it's going to be me and Kyle debating the same thing. We're both going to have different opinions, two shows, 
you know, it should be fun. Hopefully you guys check it out. That's right, everybody. It's going to be the mega powers of Jack and negative Dan against Kyle and angry Jim. <laughs> Basically, I'd agree with them, but then we'd both be wrong. That's why we're doing podcasts, and you need to tune in because we are going to smoke these guys. I can almost handle these two myself, but you team me up with negative Dan – no chance. It's not even fair, really. Oh my god! How, how do you like that? Here Jim? we go. Make sure you how got you like a that? pot of coffee over there. No, I'm gonna just hey. coffee. I'm gonna do a line of coke before I do this. Shit. <laughs> hey, Jack, was more than was more than one team in on Braun, or was that just made up? Oh, no, dude, I, I, don't, I, I don't was start. I was wrong. I did. I was telling the truth. I did not hear that, but I was wrong. You heard it from Bill Melser himself. Apparently, other teams were in on Braun, and that's why the Flyers paid. Uh, they backed up a truck and gave almost, you know, a shitload of pro, uh, picks just to get some guy for one year. I mean, hey, that's it. Is what it is. I don't make the rules. I'm gonna end this. I'm gonna end this podcast before this goes any further because I could feel it bubbling. So uh, we're, we're gonna have thanks once again to Bill Meltzer. Um, we're gonna do another episode tomorrow. We're gonna continue our unofficial official prospect month um, all August long. Tomorrow night we have Alexander Appleyard of the Athletic. Um, Kyle, did you throw your Twitter handle out there? Now you guys can find me at WarnerKyle29. All right, and then you guys know where you can find me, Jim underscore HW Radio. Make sure you give our podcast account a follow, HW underscore radio underscore. Um, yeah, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, High and Wide Radio. And, yeah, make sure you do that so you can hear our cool podcast. And we're going to wrap up. So have a good night, guys, and we'll be back tomorrow night. Next. First week of September, baby. It's on. It's on, Jimmy. Ooh.